As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Classical Etc., sitting with Ian, Kyle, and Martin. We've done a Russian literature episode before. Martin, you weren't on that one. We had Mitch because he loves Turgenev's father and sons. Um, but we're doing an episode on American literature. So we wanted to bring in a noble American rather than a wretched one for this episode. <laughs> and so we brought you in and left Mitch out. So don't tell nobody tell him I said that. <laughs> However, public. before we get to the discussion of American literature, I think that actually a really good setup of the conversation will be the conversation we were just having before we sat down at the table in our, you know, we have very extensive pre-production meetings where I ask you guys <laughs> to do a lot of research and you guys work, you slave over it. And in that meeting, as you know, we were arguing about it heatedly, someone brought up the legendary American film Shrek. And some were saying that it is worthwhile and others were saying that it is abominable evil. Now, I think there's a tie-in to our topic of American literature, but Kyle, state the positions and tell me <laughs> which one is wrong and which one is right. So, if to the degree, my argument has been, so The Ethics of Elfland, Chapter 4 of Chesterton's Orthodoxy, um, was originally proposed to me as you know someone told me kyle this is what you're always talking about you should read this chapter you'll love it um and it just so happens that same year i also had to teach it but i read orthodoxy and it was absolutely you know i ate everything it was exactly what i wanted someone to say and i feel that to the degree that one uh follows what chesterton is saying and loves the truth of fairy tales and loves beauty as beautiful uh, and therefore despises evil as evil. To the degree that you love you know, that truth, you should hate the, the uh, or despise, we'll say, um, the work that subverts that truth and says that, no, the, the evil thing, the ogre, can be the good guy, and Prince Charming, the good guy, can be the bad guy and is actually evil and is you know, attempting to turn everything upside down. Uh, this, this, you know, it's, it's, this is, it rubs me the wrong way. Wait. Sure. Yeah. So to which I replied, is all subversion wrong? And Martin, you started to say, this ties to American literature. And then I was like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was, I, I was making the point that, that the, the literary mode of irony has become the dominant mode, particularly in our pop culture. So that in so that you you will have uh, children of of this generation uh, reading the three little pigs from the wolf's perspective before they've read the three little pigs, and that this is not a good thing, uh, even to understand irony, it, because it is it is a subordinate mode necessarily because you can't even understand what it's doing unless you understand the primary mode. So even to understand it, you you it, it you need the 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 primary mode, which is basically heroic in some some way uh so i was i was this I, my problem with with shrek is not that the good guy can become the bad guy that happens in zorro uh mm -hmm. one of the one of the we're talking about american literature uh, uh pulp fiction johnston mccauley uh the original zorro story which is 
epic and mythic. Mm. Um, and, and he is, he is, uh, it's the good guy. Uh, the bad guy turns out to be the good guy, but that's a, that's a, but you've, and you, you've known it all along, but it's not ironic in any sense. But, but all irony is a sort of, it's an attempt to unmask uh, something that's been articulated in the primary heroic mode. The hero's really not the hero. So the, so the new um, Lone Ranger movie that comes out, it turns out that Tonto's really the, the, uh, the, 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 the guy who's moving things along in a good direction. And it turns out that literally unmasking the Lone Ranger, he, he, he turns out to be this ridiculous person. Um, so my, 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 my reaction to something like Shrek, which is completely ironic and ironicizes, um, ironizes all of the fairy tales, um, that, that, uh, that's fine for an adult maybe, but to, 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 to start out with irony with children just gives them this whole attitude that, that everything needs to be unmasked it's mm-hmm. it, it it produces revolutionaries and we have enough revolutionaries right now sure sure i like that so where we're headed in this episode is that before we've talked about russian literature this will be about american literature in the memorial press curriculum and the literature sequence that we have at highland science school we actually make a conscious choice to to do more in british literature than we do american literature however there are a few important american titles that our students study there's a year of american literature that our students study and i think just like with the russian literature episode the goal for our education is to equip students to be able to engage intelligently with american literature and to mine its depth and its breadth so kyle this is something that you and i have talked about kind of mm-hmm. informally over the years i want to start with do you guys think that there is something essentially American about American books that those authors that you think of as Americans, what are those characteristics that our students need to have a sense of this is what it means to be American. And this is what an American book is about. Oh, that's a good question. Well, I, yeah. I would say if I, I can contribute here, uh, that, um, the, First of all, I mean, if if your three primary story elements, a setting, plot, and characterization, you've got a different setting. Mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of difference in how a story is going to go. Um, the whole experience of the West, the conquest of the West, and this sort of thing, I think very much um, uh, qualifies the kind of, of stories that are told. I mean, uh, Joseph Epstein has said that he thinks My Antonia is the greatest American novel. Hmm. Um, and I have some sympathy with that because I just recently read that book. Um, and that is the Western experience. It's the iconic Western experience. Now, an Englishman could not have written that book, right? And, and, and so then the question becomes, I mean, the, the settings are different. I mean, you have, you have Hawthorne, you have Melville, um, which I think are uh, stories that, you could see British writing stories like that, but they're still different. Mm-hmm. But then you get you get further on into the to the uh, later authors uh, like Willa Cather, um, and you you see something even more uniquely American. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that. I I don't know if this is adding to it, but just along with that, the setting kind of the first thing that jumped in my head is uh, the woods mm-hmm. as being mm-hmm. a significant American setting. 
Um, Hawthorne is, I mean, the woods is where everything happens in Hawthorne and, and the wildness of the woods. William Fenimore um, Cooper. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was just going to bring up The Last Mohicans uh, too, as also as one of those books that kind of pops into my head as, as, you know, essential, essentially American literature. I get this from my, my sister is the one who originally turned this on, uh, turned me on uh, to that, to that novel. She used to teach it. Um, and yeah, it, it is, it, it's, it's a Western. It takes place in the East because that's as far as... That was the wilderness. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah that, that was the wilderness. Was the frontier. Yeah. yeah, but it's still um, very much about the frontier. And, and yeah. So with that too, I wonder uh, some sort of, and I'll just, you know, throw this, throw this out on the table, um, some sort of idea of, of independence as well, entering, right. entering the woods, you know, on our own. Um, so the expression of independence and then the struggle with independence, yeah. I think is. Which is the, the struggle of Natty Bumpo, the, yes. the, the hero of, of yes. the, the, the leather stocking books. Right. Uh, the, yeah, the, of which that's one, last of them. Right. The Man Without a Cross. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, I think you see this in Southern literature too, because Southern literature like Flannery O'Connor, you know, all of these things are just dripping with Southern images and symbols. And you know, I think somewhere, uh, someone has said, uh, I don't know if it was Flannery O'Connor or somebody talking about Flannery O'Connor, but that she, uh, you know, uh, sheds a light on the Christ haunted South. Mm-hmm. And so there's always something, every time somebody says that I'm from South Carolina, from the South, it's a very evocative image for me because I, I was just recently down in Hilton Head and I was seeing all the Spanish moss on the trees, which makes the trees look old, which makes the trees kind of look ghostly. And just, just that hauntedness of the South both in its history and the things that have gone on. Um, And that's with slavery. That's with racial relations. That's with even uh, religious relations in the South. I mean, because you've got a lot of Protestants down in the South. There's so much that's, that has haunted the South over the years that shows up in Southern literature. The heat in Southern literature. Somebody has said that the, the greatest American literature has been regional. Yes. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. So yes. you you know you have um, uh, you have Hawthorne who's sort of northeastern Melville. I think you could say that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wendell Berry who's very mm-hmm. much a Kentuckian. Uh, the whole Port William thing. Marjorie Kinnon Rawlings in Florida. Um, if you if you go around, you will find these great authors. Some of them not widely known. Who are Rita Faulkner, uh, another yeah. Southern writer? Yeah, the South has produced quite a number. Of, mm-hmm. of great writers, William Penn Warren, um, and and so forth. So, so this has been sort of the the hallmark of American literature, right? That it's it, it's regional. That it's a it's it's coming from a place, and places even in the United States are different. You get a little bit of that in English literature. You you know the more the more yeah. the Scotland is a yeah. you know uh, that sort of thing, and uh, and Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can identify some of those. Uh, sort of sub-national literatures, but that's even more pronounced in the United so, States because place plays a greater role, number one, and there's more places. It's bigger. It's bigger. Yeah, that's more right. places. Yeah. Do we think, though, too, that, like, I, I agree with that, but but do you think, too, the the um, struggle with place or the the looking for a place, um, I'm, I'm just interested in this idea of haunting, mm-hmm. which is not... It's it's not a a tradition Im- embodied or or tangible or or firmly held. It's it's a tradition that haunts, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm putting that together in my head with two 
I kind of use parallel images in American literature, which is from Melville and, and Faulkner. Um, Moby Dick has has the uh, a metaphor of of passing over the waves and leaving no mark on them. Mm. You know the way mm. ship doesn't. And then Faulkner picks up that same image in in his uh, novella, The Bear, where he talks about moving through the woods and the woods just kind of mm. close behind mm. you, and it's as though you were not there. Yes, which I think that that is very. Like that's the literature of a new nation. That's the anxiety of a of a new nation, um, and so that that regional quality. I don't know how do those two fit together. Well, I mean, the re- part of the, well, I mean, you know, in the movement west, I mean, I think when Natty Bumpo, the the woods have this mystique to them. Yeah. Uh, with, with Faulkner, you know, the 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 woods, the forest itself almost has a spirit. A spirit yes. that evaporates when the woods are cut down. Yeah. Um, so there is that that kind of thing, I think. Throughout. And I, th- I think it intertwines too with this central idea of freedom. What mm. what is freedom, yeah. and how do we explore freedom? And I, I had a professor in college. He said that all American literature comes from Emerson and goes to lit- Emerson. And I I don't know if that's true, but it it was it's impacted me because I I kind of think of Emerson. Uh, Whitman Thoreau as kind of the spiritual center of American literature in a lot of ways because they were exploring two things, Walden Pond and self-reliance. And mm-hmm. it seems like those two kinds of ideas from Thoreau are behind a lot of American literature. I mean, even Washington Irving is, you know, most famous, um, the book where the guy sleeps in the wilderness. Rip Van Winkle. Rip Van Winkle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's about being free from his hen, being yeah. his henpecked wife, which, which, you know? which I think I agree with you in New England because all the writers you named are New England New England True. writers. Uh, mm. But you get you get to Western literature, and there the impulse is very different. I think I think with Emerson and Thoreau, they're living in a civilization, so they can dream about not living in a civilization. Sure. But you go west, and there is no civilization. Yeah. So mm. what you dream of is civilization, and you try mm. to establish it on the frontier. Yeah, that's good. So let's go around the table like we did when we were talking about novels and tell me about an American book that you had an experience with and what you thought about that book that was particularly helpful and attempt to maybe relate that to its American-ness. So let me give you guys a second to, to think of one. So whoever whoever has one, throw it out there. Hmm. Well, I mean, I recently read My Antonia, but I haven't really processed it yet. Sure. Uh, but again, you do see these themes of of creating home in a in a what had been a foreign place and setting down roots and establishing civilization once again, which is a theme you see all over literature, even very popular literature like Louis L'Amour or something. A lot of his stories are about about people uh, uh, founding a town uh, on, on the prairie. Uh, when there's still the danger of Indians and all this sort of thing and books. That's why books are very important, mm. you know, and all these, these Louis L'Amour books, you know, it, it he's, he's always mentioning Plutarch and Blackstone. Mm. And that's, that's what there's a, people only had a few books and, but they were like total classics. Right. Uh, even, even a, even a Western like Owen Wister's the, the Virginian is about the classical education of a cowboy mm. because he meets a, a, a he meets a, 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 uh, school teacher who he falls in love with and she falls in love with him, but she makes him read books and she'll give him a book. She'll give him a Shakespeare play. 
he'll bring it back and he he's required to explain it to her. <laughs> he, she's civilizing him. Uh, and he comes back and it's the funny, some of the, the funniest renditions of these story, you know, he comes back to, to describe King Lear. It's King Lear, according to a cowboy. What would that <laughs> So, yeah, so, uh, so I'd say, you know, it's a little farther back, but I, I was very impressed with The Virginian by Owen Wister. I think that's mm. a great American novel. Yeah. <laughs> I almost want to say King Lear. That's a great American, <laughs> great American work. It just anticipates. He doesn't know his geography. Yeah. 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 Where's that ocean? <laughs> um, no, but so I'll, I'll say Moby Dick instead. I feel like people who know me would be disappointed if I didn't say Moby Dick <laughs> in response to your question. But I, I can bring King Lear into it because I think they're doing a similar thing. J- just that, um, that isolated look at what freedom isn't, I suppose I, I would say, in both King Lear, who famously tries to exercise his sovereignty, his, his individual sovereignty over the heavens, over the, you know, the thunderstorm, um, and of course fails. And so that, that places him... You know, you may be a ruler over men, but you are not a ruler over nature. Um, and that placement, I think, is uh, very interesting. It's an interesting question and an interesting assertion from Shakespeare. So I think Melville is picking that up in Moby Dick with Captain Ahab. Um, and I guess a line that I would cite, I forget what chapter it's in. It's towards the end, but uh, it's during a thunderstorm. Again, so it's his King Lear scene where Ahab is out in the thunderstorm when everyone else is seeking shelter and he, he shakes his fist at the heavens and, and uh, declares that in, in, the, um, uh, in the presence or, or before the, the personified impersonal, a personality stands. And I, I feel that is so applicable to... In many senses, our contemporary American ideas about mm-hmm. rights mm-hmm. and freedom, and, and it's all about asserting your personality. And Melville is anticipating that, and Melville is writing that into his villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a means of saying this is what liberty is not, and the, you know, is grappling with that idea of, um, you know, who are we and what what are we when we're out in the wilderness? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which cling, you know, being in the wilderness and clinging to books then. Mm-hmm. Instead of to your own personality, mm-hmm. I think is. In, in yeah, I think they're they're almost competing narratives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I recently read Moby Dick, and there's a few things that kind of resonated with me in terms of its Americanness. I mean, you have that New England aspect of it, where he's mm-hmm. clearly you know a genealogical heir to Hawthorne in terms of how he writes, his sense of humor, his you know he's touching on religion even in similar ways but then also the, 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 the sermon to the shark yeah yes. it's, the best scene yeah, I think incredible. I've read anywhere yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and on, on that point you know, you said that American literature is often regional a lot of the early American literature too is very like dialect focused some of the great mm-hmm. early authors were very mm-hmm. good at capturing these interesting dialects that came up in different specific regions and Melville catches that extremely well with the dialect of mm-hmm. sea merchant New England whaler and that that tone of voice mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. well a couple of the books that i was thinking of to kind of play off this regional um aspect again was uh and, and these aren't necessarily my favorite books one one is uh but the other is a difficult book that's just sat with me for a long time it's light in august by william faulkner mm-hmm. and it's a devastating book i mean it is about a biracial figure who doesn't know his really his parentage and because of that doesn't know who he is and it's difficult for him to interact in society because society also doesn't know. They society doesn't know who he is. Mm. And it's a devastating book dealing with 
the racial history of the past, uh, the racial history of the South, particularly. So it's a Southern novel steeped in that that leaves you unsettled by the end. But but isn't it also, it, I think, on the surface, and it, it, it is a novel about race. Yes. But he's, he, it's, it seems to me it's universalized it is. in there. That's right. We're, we're all people who have forgotten who we are. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and so there's that, that. That that's stuck with me as a piece of American literature that really defines for me what what when I go to a Southern book, I often feel a, a same sense of of that mm-hmm. uh, kind of despair at times. I mean, you read Flannery O'Connor, mm-hmm. and she's operating on the extremes. She's using these extreme figures to really show us who we are to pull something out of us. Mm-hmm. And when you get O'Connor, you see that's what she's doing. You know, she's not, she's not advocating for a society like this. She's saying, this is who we are and all of our ugliness, you know? Uh, but then on a, uh, a, a more, I guess, beautiful note, uh, Jaber Crow by, mm-hmm. by Wendell Berry. Mm-hmm. To me, that is, it's, uh, we're in Kentucky. So we can, we can imagine exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. I love, especially when he visits Louisville. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. we, we know where he's going. But I also, I love personally driving around Kentucky, driving around, getting onto these, you know, back roads in Henry County or Shelbyville, uh, you know, somewhere like that. And so I, I see his world when I go out for these kinds of drives. And what I get from something like Jaber Crow, and there's so much that could be said about that, but just that sense of belonging to a place mm-hmm. that often when you read maybe some of the Southern literature, there is a sense in which you leave going, do I even want to belong? to this place with all the stuff that's going on in something like Jaber Crow, you see the goodness of being rooted and having family, being a part of the earth in a place. Yeah. And he, he, and he talk, he, he uses a lot of reflexive pronouns. Yeah. There. He will call, he will talk about uh, some person, um, Maddie or whatever, in, Jaber, uh, in herself, um, Port William in itself. He, yeah. uses, he uses that terminology yeah. a lot. To to uh, the river in itself, there's uh, he does that too, natural things, but there's something about that that seems to betray this belief he has that these things have themselves have natures. Yeah, mm-hmm. that even a community, the river, has a nature. the river Crow has a, a nature. Yes, very much so. A, that whole discussion of what is thing, what is the yeah. river? It is it the banks of the river that yeah. are all, always there? Is it mm-hmm. the water running through the river that that the, the same water is never there? It's always passing yeah. through. What is it, the yeah. river? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. What does it mean that we're saying American literature is is interested? So it's like like Wendell Berry in in regional place, and it's like Melville, whose whole novel takes place at sea. Yeah, because there is no solid ground beneath. But you know what? But even there, that specific New England sailor mm. takes a unique identity, even compared to the French and German and British whalers that he encounters while they're at okay, sea. Yeah. And there are other there are other non New England sailors on the boat, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, there's something I think unique about how Melville is kind of through the voice of Ishmael is thinking about the voyage that Ahab is going under. I, I think personally that that yeah. it's tied to this kind of Puritan-dominated New England space that was trying to think about what does it mean to be free now and to well, grow beyond our Puritan ancestors. And who mm-hmm. came from England, who came to a foreign place, there's there's always this sense of some kind of alienation from your place, mm-hmm. which I think that Barry tries to close. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was, I was going to say, I think something that we can see in particularly Western literature is the search for home. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the search yeah. for home, and Barry gives us the answer. 
mm-hmm. in Port William. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not American. Right. Uh, but do you see that, that this, this cert, it, and t- to me, I, I know that it's not an American book, but he, he's, it's, it's, it's trying to do both. He's going on a quest and yet they must come home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so in, I think it, the form that takes in American literature is we go on a quest, we go on a, we go West or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, we are trying to establish a home in yeah. a foreign place. Mm. Uh, mm. But, but I do think that in Moby Dick, it, it, there is, because on a ship, you have a bunch yeah. of people who've left home. That's right. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. it's, and they yearn for home. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah. Is, is that always the case in, in, uh, so do we always start homeless then? Mm. Even very well, I think we have Jaber Crow. In, in, He's in only Jaber Crow twice. That's right. right. And he, it is the journey mm-hmm. home. Yeah, it's the journey him. home. His whole now, life. Is the a rest home. of you know, you might say in some of his other novels, you, he's already established Port William yeah. as the central place. Mm-hmm. But even there, there's a sense that those who leave Port William have left home. Yes, and um, that they're now and they become less human. In that's some right. Ways. That's right. They're yeah. no longer who they were. Yeah. Right. So let me zag on you guys and say that the author who. I really one author I really resonate with who's an American is Robert Frost and Robert mm-hmm. Frost was one of the things that resonates with him with me is that he was 45 when he started when he really was noticed he was he had been teaching like PE and mm-hmm. English at a small <laughs> high school and he was burning himself out and his one of his books of poetry got picked up by um, some people and they noticed him and I think with Frost you have this unique character that um you know, to compare Frost with like the other other notable poets, like John Donne, a famous metaphysical poet from the Middle Ages, you could say that John Donne, his poetry is, you know, if the poem is a frame, he's pointing to things outside the frame, love, theological ideas, God. Um, later, you know, very like extreme realist poets are going to point at only things in the frame, where it seems like frost in all of his poems he's pointing at things in the frame that have resonance all over outside of the frame and i've, I've used that image before mm-hmm. probably but his book uh, of early poetry i think it's called north of boston just reading that front to back is really awesome it's incredible poems and i think what makes him such a unique figure is that most people have an impression of him that's very kind of naive and innocent and thomas kincaid <laughs> and then you step into his poetry and it's so complex. It's very locationally specific, north mm-hmm. of Boston, um, and it's yeah, it's really true to human experience. It resonates, and uh, so I, I love I love Frost, and I feel like he embodies a lot of those American characteristics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got deep childhood memories of a certain publication of uh, uh, stopping by the woods on a snowy evening um, with with you know that set of illustrations it's that yep, that yep. uh you know those pictures um that's yeah i mean i still have it on the shelf i read it to my kids and it just it, it it made it made an impact on me as a kid and you had mentioned i think when we were talking about novels earlier on the last episode the you know introductions being kind of a form of of writing we don't talk about enough poetry criticism randall gerald his criticism mm-hmm. of frost is really interesting really good to read and i i think gerald's a poet in his own right but i've only read his criticism of frost and it's really interesting Hmm. so moving on from our own kind of experiences with american literature 
What are those things that you would tell a student or someone who wants to access American literature? Where would you tell them to start? What are some kind of tips that they should, what are they, should they be looking for in American literature? Would you recommend starting with Irving and the earliest Americans and moving forward? Is there a way someone could map out what American literature is in their mind to kind of have a sense of it? All, all of those mm-hmm. topics that orient people to this body of literature that we've appreciated anecdotally. So I've always felt that Irving, while he is so thoroughly American, it's hard for me at least to like put my finger on exactly what that is. If I were to explain it to somebody else, um, my, I, I immediately went to uh, the Scarlet Letter, hmm. Hawthorne, which I think is, again, the, the relationship between the, uh, the community and the woods and that the conversation that happens in the woods about can we just run off together? Can we just be free of the constraints of society? Um, I mean, that's and don't, so... don't fall asleep out in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. don't make a, a deal with the devil that you meet in, in the woods. You know, Goodman Brown. Yeah. Say awesome. This, this is a, it's a good starting spot <laughs> place yeah. for a, yeah. you know, a, a child's education. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think it's so, you know, I mean, he gets, he's criticized. I think it's unfairly, but he gets criticized for being, all his symbolism being so on the nose and so blatantly allegorical. But, um, but that's I just, okay. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's okay. Exactly. And it's good yeah. to start with. That's right. Because it's easier to understand. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm t- the, um, the birthmark, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Heidegger's experiment. The, the, the symbolism really is very close to the surface. But that doesn't make it any less. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the problem, I think, with a lot of modern literature, American and otherwise, is they bury the symbolism so deep that it's very, very difficult to find, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. It's intentionally difficult. Yeah. It's a puzzle. And I'm not going to say anything positive yet, like what you should do. I do think we could also... I could say some some negative things like what you shouldn't do and you shouldn't start with Faulkner. I mean, he's <laughs> these guys are they have very unique styles, Faulkner, mm-hmm. uh, even Hemingway in places, Flannery O'Connor for sure. Mm-hmm. Those you need you need some time. You need other things beforehand. You need the Scarlet Letter. You need more maybe some more of the western literature which can be more adventurous and mm-hmm. therefore just more interesting and fun to read. Mm-hmm. When you work through that. Mm-hmm. Working into some of the greats of the giants of Southern literature is probably for a higher level student. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You shouldn't and, tackle it. Yet. And I think once again, this goes back to, um, to the principle that uh, you should uh, read the thousand good books before you read the hundred great books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, right. that's, that's always the thing really to tell people when they aren't familiar with literature and they need to be familiar with literature. And then just start, you know, again, just start with short stories. Yeah, I mean Melville, uh, 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 Hawthorne's short stories. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a very good short story writer, and he wrote a lot of them. Uh, even Melville, the Lightning Rod Man. Yeah. Um, of course, most of what we have from Flattery O'Connor, because right. her career was so short, uh, was short stories. Um, yeah, but I, I agree. Uh, Faulkner, O'Connor are are doing something very different, and they sort of assume uh, a literary sensibility That's right. coming to yeah. them that you can't have unless you, you, you study some of the other, and you know, we mentioned Steinbeck in the last, mm-hmm. uh, not, not a big short story writer, but you did write short novels, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. Pearl, which is a set is a, a different setting. Um, and, uh, uh, of mice and men, tortilla mm-hmm. flats, uh, cannery row. 
I think you really get a, again, he's writing in the West in California. You really get a sense of the older California there um, and, and those kinds of things. Uh, and Steinbeck is, is, he's using symbolism, but the story, even if you don't really understand the syllogism, the story's still compelling. Mm, mm, yeah. mm-hmm. So I want to ask you guys this because I kind of want to start a fight. And that is, <laughs> even though we, we aren't literary scholars here, and we haven't read everything except for Ian. He's read everything. No, but before 1900, who do you guys think is the most important American author mm. before 1900? And maybe let's say who, who are a few names that would be in contention. And then I want to hear you guys make some bold claims. Okay, I'll make I'll make a I'll I'll say one that I, I may may justify picking a fight uh, uh, here, uh, particularly with Kyle, um, because he's he was talking about. Um, a James Fenimore Cooper, which I actually brought up actually in the first place. Yeah. Um, Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, yes. and of course, Twain <laughs> yes. writes a, a, just an epic takedown of Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> 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 and, you know, when you read it in terms of his writing ability, his writing style, I have to agree with Twain. Last of the Mohicans is turgid. <laughs> it is uh, turgid to the extreme. And, yeah. uh, and, um, and, and again, now... <clears throat> Twain is an ironist. He's mm-hmm. one of the early right. ironists mm-hmm. in American literature. But, but he's, he's operating at a time when that still is, again, the subordinate um, mode. And, and so he writes these great uh, works, among them Huckle, uh, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, which, which have this sense of humor, sort of ironic sense of humor in them, and yet it's not destructive yet. Mm. And so I think my, I think Twain is. I think he's one definitely of in the conversation. Yeah. Um, even I don't even really love Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn, but I do love you know, Connecticut Kid in King Arthur's Court or mm-hmm. Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. I just talked about the '90s movie, mm-hmm. but the, <laughs> the novel <laughs> uh, and, and others. I mean, he he is one of the best. So. Yeah, Kyle, did, how do you, you feel did, about Mark? You Trump? did you did start a fight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just no fun, um, but. I feel like I've always felt about Mark Twain that he doesn't leave you anything to stand on. If you if you stand on Mark Twain, he's, he's going to pull the rug out from under you. That's what Mark Twain does. And that's what he loves to do. And he doesn't leave you with anything that you can really... I think he does it on a small scale. But I don't... Okay. I mean, you read something like Life in, A Life on the Mississippi. Yeah. And it's a beautiful... It's just a description of of what that river life was like. And it's so compelling and he's one also who when he's describing something there's a symbolism there mm. uh these things mean more than they look like they do on the surface um and so, so I, you know I, I admit he's he's he's, yeah. he's subversive in a way um but he i think what he's trying to do i think he's honest and i think he's trying to subvert these you know he's, he's trying to 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 let the wind out of some of these pomposities because they're there and uh, and and so I I think that the kinds of things he's trying to take down are things that need to be taken down, uh, not Cooper. such as Cooper. <laughs> not Cooper. No, <laughs> Cooper. So, Cooper. He he he, it, he he builds a myth, and he comes. At, well, I don't know. I'm not going to go that far, perhaps. But he comes as you know, as close perhaps as possible of giving you know some sort of mythic quality. There's a there's a a, a myth happening 
you know, an epic happening in the woods, you know, well, on the art frontier can be judged that by, he involves in, in, us in. Art can be judged in two ways. Number one, the purpose, and number two, how well the purpose was accomplished. Mm-hmm. I agree that the purpose is good, <laughs> but how it is accomplished, I think uh, I think Twain has some points here. Okay. So what are some, what are some other names that could be in the conversation? I, mean, I think Melville, yeah, people yeah, would generally agree, Moby mm-hmm. Dick mm-hmm. is one of the greats, and having just read it, I, I agree. I think it's pretty, it's fantastic. pretty close to it's hilarious, hilarious yeah, and mm-hmm. a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it so symbolic of so many different things. Mm-hmm. Anybody can read it and have a connection to it. Mm-hmm. I think other mm-hmm. people would mention maybe Poe, Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. um, although his one Perfect. novel is very bad and un- <laughs> unfinished, but his you know, his yeah, short, stories short stories are, poems. are yeah. very well, very well known. Yes. Yeah. You know, what other names would be in the, in the conversation from before the 1900s? Before 1900. Uh, before 1900, sorry. In the 1800s or before. It's, it's probably some authors in there that have kind of been forgotten about unjustly, and I, I can't think of who they might be. Yeah, they, you mm. can scream at us in the comments section. Yeah. <laughs> right. So turning forward from 1900 on, this is maybe where we yeah. get in trouble. But what mm-hmm. do you what do you guys think would be? I think Frost to me mm-hmm. is the greatest American author, so post 1900. Mm-hmm. But then there's some modern modern authors. I mean, he died in the 60s, but you know. Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry. Marilyn Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Gatsby. Yeah. Fitzgerald. 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 Mm-hmm. The moment <clears throat> for me when I, when, when you, in the novel, when you see Fitzgerald turning that, the green light at the end of the dock, when you see him turning that from a romantic symbol to talking about the, you know, the view of green land across the, you know, across the ocean as, as, uh, you know, the explorers approach this new world. The second he pulls off that switch in meaning, that's which is actually at the end of the novel. But I mean, I was sold on that novel when I saw that. It's like that, that is an important American text. Well, and Gatsby was highly regarded by another American author we have not mentioned here, which is Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he basically takes care of Fitzgerald in Paris, uh, according to uh, <laughs> um, A Movable Feast, who was uh, a... Uh, um, Fitzgerald, who was apparently a hypochondriac, and mm. he drank too much, and all kinds of things. He was apparently a mess. Uh, but we haven't talked much about Hemingway. Right. What do we think mm-hmm. of Hemingway? His, his greatest work was Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, he had to work on him a bit. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what do... I really we, don't have, have all that much exposure to Hemingway. <clears throat> I mean, other than The Old Man in the Sea, which no. I read <clears throat> probably when I wasn't really paying attention to it. You know, I just mm-hmm. kind of picked it up and saw it as a, oh, yeah, I should read that. And I read it. And so I didn't really leave with a sense of <clears throat> profundity in yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But do, you, do you think that Hemingway stands out in that group of, you know, early 19th century or I, I, 20th century I, I think authors? he does. I mean, there, there's definite things to criticize in Hemingway. You know, mm-hmm. I, I read a Hemingway book and I, I have to go uh, get some adjectives. Uh, quickly because uh, he doesn't use them. Um, you know, he, he's got this, yeah. he, his writing style is, there's something admirable about yeah. it, you yeah. know, which he learned from Gertrude Stein mm-hmm. in Paris. He talks about it, mm-hmm. movable piece. Um, there's something admirable mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and I, it, it's hard to say what it, what it mm-hmm. is, but it, it, he's, he, he wants to state the truth as baldly as he can without adornment. Yeah. Um, and I think that's not a bad, I think it's a noble purpose. I, yeah, I, I agree. I read um, For Whom the Bell Tolls a little while back. Mm-hmm. 
And that that would be my takeaway. I, I think ultimately the book doesn't say something true about humanity. So just back to your there, are, you know, two ways mm-hmm. to write a novel. You know what it does and how it does it. Um, I don't agree with how, what it does, but how he does it, it is it is it means a long book, but it is a remarkably clean, uh, just organized, mm-hmm. clean, um, well written, long book. So yeah, yeah it, it's. It, He's an impressive writer. For yeah, sure. and and he he, you know, he's been accused of being sort of a nihilist. Mm. But I I don't I don't know that that's a, an adequate description of, of Hemingway. I mean, because there are things there are there are truths that he will he will acquiesce to. Um, but he's again, he's trying to just state things as baldly as he can. And so, you you know, you reason like farewell to arms and, you know, the last lines, you know, his wife's died, his child in childbirth and the child's died. And he's walking back to the hotel in the rain. Mm-hmm. And then it's, uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. So there, there he, but I don't, I don't take that as him saying the world has no meaning. Cause he, he kind of seems like he's saying that sometimes. And yet the way the fact that he's saying it, and this is true with a lot of modernist writers, right. because we're you know we're talking about Faulkner, we're talking about Hemingway. Yeah. These are modernist writers um, who who seem to be wanting to to uh, create these narratives that that um, are implying that there is no meaning in the world. But even in something like Old Man in the Sea, which on yeah. the surface I think does seem to, to argue that. But I think if you think about it more deeply, he's he's really not saying mm-hmm. that there is some meaning even in the meaninglessness. It's like you know, right. waiting for Godot. The whole purpose yeah. is purposelessness. Well, that's a purpose. I mean, it's his right. purpose for right. articulating the play in the first place. I, I, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think Old Man in the Sea. It's easy to end that novel and think, oh, he's saying all of this was useless, mm-hmm. right? But w- reading gone. the novel mm-hmm. and thinking of Hemingway writing the novel, mm-hmm. you can feel the 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 meaningfulness of everything that the old fisherman mm-hmm. does yeah. just in the, in the writing of it. And, and you know, the way Mel, uh, Mel, um, Hemingway handles that. Yeah. He, he senses the meaning, even if I'm, yeah. I'm sure he does refute it. At the right. End, but and, yeah. and, and it's what, what's interesting to me is that uh, he has some draw to Christianity, uh, yeah. Catholicism in particular, because I think that must've been his background. I don't know. I don't know much about him, but but uh, priests are always mm. positive figures and are always mm. treated reverently in mm. his books. So he he does. There is some recognition there that there's there's some spiritual truth that he's not maybe able to capture in his own life. I don't know. Mm. It, one of that whole discussion made me think that he would coming back to what is American literature. You could kind of draw a straight line from you know early American literature, Fenimore Cooper, and Washington Irvin and and the specificity we talked about with the the woods and the place You're talking about the place place is a major concern of Twain. I mean, of course, it's a major concern for all authors, but there's something very specifically American and forests and agrarian about these authors. And then same for these 20th century authors, and then even the modern authors that kind of stick out to me, Cormac McCarthy yeah. or mm-hmm. Jaber Crow, or yeah. you know, even with these nihilist modern authors, David Foster Wallace, there is still something very specifically regional about the writing today. And that Larry kind of McMurtry. is a, yeah, Larry McMurtry that, and that's a, a line that runs all the way back mm-hmm. and ties it all together in some ways. Mm-hmm. 
You know, and two other authors we haven't mentioned that we should claim both of are W.H. Auden and T.S. Eliot. One, an American mm-hmm. who wanted to be British and one, a British person who wanted to be American, you know? And so we'll just claim them both and <laughs> two, two of the greatest uh, 20th century poets. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want comment on those? I, yeah, I mean, I, I, L.A. has always been sort of a mystery to me because uh, he's, you know, he's writing this poetry. He, he writes The Wasteland before he becomes a Christian. Um, he, he writes other things. And he's, he's really a celebrity among the modernists or the proto-modernists, I mean, I'd say. And then he comes, then, then he starts writing criticism. He founds the Criterion, the journal, the literary journal. He founds the Criterion and he comes out and he is this explicit Christian uh, critiquing literature from a Christian perspective. And, and the modernists are going, oh my gosh, who is this? <laughs> who, this is not who we thought this guy was. And, and you know, then they can't, but they can't disown him, <laughs> which is the beautiful thing about it. Um, and, and so his, you know, I love his literary criticism because it's crystal clear. He's a very clear prose writer for his poetry, The Wasteland. You know, it's a whole project just to figure out what the darn thing means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, so I, I think, yeah. Yeah, but I I mean, so personally, I like his criticism. Sure. Uh, but, but then he writes uh, the four quartets and and a few other explicitly Christian poems that are a little bit more understandable. Sure. On the last, uh, to, to end, the last question I want to ask you guys is if you had to choose one American book mm. that you would recommend to someone, what is it? What's the one book that they should read? Mm. So, so the, the question was, which one of my children would I hang on to? Yeah, that's, right. Right. Is that, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm going to go with Jaber Crow for the things mm. that I mentioned before, that it's a story about home and coming home and staying home. And being rooted. And that doesn't always mean, you know, one specific place in your life, but there's a whole vision of a flourishing life devoted to your community and your place that Wendell Berry is presenting that is beautiful. I'm going to zag again and go poetry as well. An author that didn't get brought up, I'd be sad if we didn't talk about Carl Sandburg, the Chicago poet. Mm. He also, and I'm from near Milwaukee. He was a, a journalist in Milwaukee. Carl Sandburg has a poem called um, Eating Soup that you should Google and read. Eating I believe it's called right. Eating Soup. Yeah. I've yeah. seen the sign for his, is it his first place in North Carolina? Yeah, there's a uh, Carl Sandburg house. Yeah, Carl Sandburg house. Oh, well, we could stall for a little bit more time and, and I'd be able well, to decide. I would think it'd be between. I would think it would be obvious who what you'd say. Really? What, what do you think I would say? Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I'm torn between Gatsby, though. I don't want, I want, they, I want to say Gatsby. All right. I, I think I might go ahead and say yeah. Gatsby. It's so, yeah. it's so we, beautiful. We, I mentioned this and earlier. So the final line in Gatsby is one of the best yeah. final lines in all of literature. I mean, just go read it. I'm not going to say it. You need to read. Yeah. Will the movie suffice or do you have no, to read no, it? No, I'm just kidding. No, I've read no. the book. Yeah, no, the movie will not suffice. No, a thousand times no. Um, it's the book. I, it's the sentences, you know, the word mm-hmm. structure. I, you know, I'm sorry, Melville, but it's, his novel's just not as well put. To, it's more put together than people think. 
Right. But it's not as well put together as it could have been. And I can't say that about The Great Gatsby. I think Great Gatsby is perfectly wrought. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a book by an author we have not discussed. And part of the problem is she only wrote one book. Mm. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, yeah, well, mm. I think, is, is mm. the most finely crafted, um, the most compelling in its story, in it, its convincing, in its setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, its characters are, you know, Atticus um, and Scout and Jem. Uh, they're just... I can just see that little community in Alabama and, and, and there's something utterly American. Mm. Right. Mm. Uh, although there is another book and okay. I appreciate that you just, you said that she has one book and we agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> correct. Now, I'll, I'll yeah. tell you another book yeah. that was called, that was thought to be, it's a very politically incorrect. Now it was thought to be the great American novel before this. And that was, uh, um, Oh, the movie Clark Gable, Vivian Lee, uh, gone, oh, yeah. gone with the wind. Gone, gone with the wind. It's gone with the wind. Uh, hmm. I, I read that. You know, Cheryl promised. I, I had to promise her that I would read that book, and I did. And it's not a racist book if you actually read it. Hmm. And it's an incredible, incredible book. And it's 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 strange because Scarlett O'Hara is not the heroine of the book. You know, all the things they say about it, it's all clearly by, by people who have not read the book. Um, there, there's, there's a very much a critique of slavery in there. There's very much, a, you know, all this stuff. So I, I, I just hate that that book has fallen into such disrepute because mm-hmm. it doesn't deserve this. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. All right. You, you really should read on. I, it yeah, is, it is an absolutely have magnificent you been to... book. I, I, I almost said that instead of perfect. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.